0: Welcome to Breakthrough Barriers with Damali. I'm your host, Damale Peterman. On this podcast, we invite you to share a conflict that you need help navigating, and I, along with a guest co-host, will share what we would do in that situation to help you reach your breakthrough. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, I'm so thrilled to have Josephine Jurassi with me in the studio. Hi,
1: Josephine. Well, hello, Damali. Thank you so much. I am honored to be part of your podcast.
0: Oh, I'm honored to have you. What a treat. Josephine and I met in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program, which we graduated from in March. And we hit it off from the beginning. We had, t- we had plans to go to China and everything, <laughs> right, Josephine? We did. We did.
1: <laughs> I have my passport right ready, so we, are we ready. can still make something We now. can
0: still make it go. We, we were partnering to present a, a training program. We just have plans. We, we're we going to change the world together, right? We will. Josephine, tell us about yourself.
1: So Damali, I have a very diverse background. I'll start way back when I was actually one of 11 siblings, one of 11 children, so I have 10 siblings. So I grew up in a household I like to call in, you know, I learned how to deal with others as a team at a young age, or you might want to call it survival. Either <laughs> or, both being a team member and surviving with 10 brothers and sisters, it really did. It set me up to be an entrepreneur. So I also helped my brother with his paper out. And one question that I always asked people when I had my podcast was, so tell me, you know, did you think you were going to be an entrepreneur when you were younger? And honestly, nine out of 10 people told me they had a paper out when they were younger. Wow. So it was quite interesting. So um, I went to school for finance. Then I went for my MBA in marketing. I worked for on Wall Street for a lot of the big firms, Merrill Lynch, Schroeder's, big guys. And then I just decided to go out on my own and start my own company. So I got married. I was taking my son to a restroom, a public restroom. And I said, oh, my gosh, do you have to touch everything? And that's when I decided maybe I'll come up with disposable gloves to keep kids' hands clean. Um, It was really a hard sell. Trying to convince people to buy potty gloves. But what was happening was, I was getting phone calls from a lot of teachers in schools, and they were like, oh, can we use these gloves for after school programs, to handle food? The Girl Scouts wanted them for their bake sales. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give the customer what they're asking for. And that's when I created my Glovies product, and the rest is history.
0: Wow, and I've seen (laughs) those Glovies. We have some at home, and they're amazing. And you're absolutely right. They can be used for so many different purposes. Um, Sometimes we use them for art. Um, It's great not to have to clean all the paint off of my kids' hands or off the ceiling or the wall or the floor. Um, And they're just really great for so many different things. Sometimes we're cooking. I have them put them on so that there's not flour everywhere. And so I love that the customers ask for something, and you gave it to them.
1: Yes, it's been an adventure, but a lot of fun. And it's just an honor when, you know, um, I had a Montessori school teacher send me the most beautiful email. It really warmed my heart because there was a little boy who had sensory issues and he couldn't, he wanted to be part of what his friends were doing and he just couldn't take the guts out of that pumpkin and the teacher found me on Amazon. She purchased the gloves, And there we are. The little boy was able to be included and not excluded. So... Mm-hmm. It's all good stuff, but I can't wait to share my knowledge with you and your listeners. Absolutely.
0: Well, one, that's a beautiful story. And it just warms my heart that your product allowed a child to do something and to to participate in something that he perhaps otherwise would not have been able to. So that's just wonderful. I want to hear more stories like that, Josephine. Okay. That's just wonderful. <laughs> and for our listeners, before we jump into that, you did have a podcast. And how many podcast episodes did you record?
1: It was almost 200, believe it or not. Wow. It was over a long period of time. It was over seven years. Mm-hmm. They're still um, running the shows. It was a radio station out in Tyler, Texas. And the name of the podcast is Paying It Forward with Joseph Gerassi Entrepreneurs Helping Entrepreneurs. I love it. And it was great. Damali, I got to meet such a really big people. And it was amazing because I don't know if you're familiar with Kathleen King, but she um, is a creator of Tate's Cookies. Oh, yeah. And when I interviewed so her, when I interviewed her, she didn't make it really big yet. And she had such an incredible story. So now that she made it really big and sold to her company for over $100 million, wow. Um I have a friend in the corner. So that's what's so great about all these podcasts. And it's just great sharing our knowledge with others.
0: Well, we have to definitely check that out. It's called what again? Oh, Tate's Cookies. And your podcast? Oh, Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi. Oh, we got to find that. That sounds amazing. And so for those of you tuning in for the first time, you can call our hotline. So basically, you can call and leave a message with any question that you're contemplating. It can be conflict. It could be a situation. It can be just something that you love to have. Have some insight from a person who's not a part of the situation, and so that's what we're here for. What we do is we play the message on the air for the co-host for the first time, and then we talk about what we would do if we were in that situation. So, what are you waiting for? Pick up the phone and leave us a message. So, without further ado, Josephine, we will play the first message. Great. You
2: have one message. message. Hi, Demali. My name is Rochelle. And I have a question that relates to raising capital. I wanted your opinion on what you think are some things to consider when an entrepreneur is fundraising amongst friends and family. I've always had conflicted feelings about this because some people say you should not mix business with friends or family. And some people say before you even go out and try to fundraise, from outside investors, you should always try and raise a small round amongst friends and family. So I wanted to hear some of your thoughts on that, and uh, I look forward to hearing your ideas. Thank you.
0: Hmm. That's a good question.
1: That's very interesting.
0: The first thing that comes to mind is what for you, Josephine?
1: I would only borrow money from my mom or dad, parents. (laughs) And I would stop right there. (laughs) And why is that? I just think that mom and dad would do anything for you. When it comes to siblings, you got to remember, lots of them are married. They have their own families. And I, with my business, I... I always wanted to do it on my own. To be honest with you, that's just. And I have a product based business, which is very different from a service based business. Because with product, if you don't have inventory, you don't have a business.
0: That's right.
1: So I I took a different approach with my Gloves product.
0: I like that. And so basically, uh, going to parents because you know they they could do it for you. They'll do anything for you, and you know parents, for the most part, are very supportive. Um, I heard something really awesome recently, which was, don't borrow money from someone that if you lost it, or if you lose the money, then you wouldn't want to be around the dinner table with them at Thanksgiving. Right? Um, that's a good one. <laughs> I like that. And so that's kind of to your point of, you know, sometimes friends and family may have their own responsibilities, things may be, uh, funds may already be allocated towards certain things, and so, so some advice that I've also heard recently is, uh, you know, ask people who can afford to lose it, right? So maybe they're serial investors, maybe they're angel investors or venture capitalists, um, or maybe they like really support you. The reason that a lot of folks, um, when they're in their seed round, typically like to have friends and family um, involved is because these people support you. They know you, they're excited about you, and they believe in you. And sometimes it's good to kind of get that support before you go out to some people who don't know you, right?
1: I think that that's great. So I took a little different approach. So I knew that I wanted to grow a big business, but I wanted to walk instead of run, and I knew I needed the money. Now I did save money. I had an account specifically for Glovies, but as you know, Molly, whenever you have a big project, it always ends up being more than you expected. So before you know it, that account was going down and going down. I already invested in my package, my designer. Everything was set up. The last piece of the puzzle was I had to buy my inventory. And Mm. I said, how am I going to do this? I could have gone to the bank. I hate paying the interest. It just kills me because any interest you're paying comes right off your profit. So I said, listen, what have I got to lose? I called my manufacturer. Who adored me. And I explained to him, listen, I have all this business experience. I know what I'm doing. You have to trust me. You have to believe in me. Let's start small, but I want to create a partnership with you. And that's what we did. And he believed in me and he said, okay, Josephine, listen, can you come up with one third of the price? I said, yes, I can. He said, okay, give me one third as a down payment. I'll start production. And then when you get the money, you give it to me. And I'll tell you, I paid him back as quickly as I possibly can. I did not spend money on anything else. But it was the best source of capital for my company where he didn't charge me money because he felt that if we created the partnership together, the more product I sold, the more product I was going to need to reorder and purchase from him. And that's how I handled my capital.
0: That's fantastic. So having a partnership with your manufacturer where he provide a certain amount up front, a third, and then the rest is pretty much on credit, right? Yeah, that's
1: exactly right. That's
0: phenomenal. So I think that's great advice. If there are other alternatives, other options to uh, partnering with folks or figuring out in, in lieu of raising capital, what can you do? Can you make a deal with your manufacturer? Can you make a deal with the companies you're providing services to you if we're talking about services as opposed to products um, where maybe they're paying you a, a portion up front before you actually deliver? So maybe they're locking in your, your dates or what have you. Um, That's a great idea. I like thinking outside the box, Josephine.
1: Yeah, one other thing that I really think is so important is always try to get capital before you need it. Always. Like I sell a a lot of my product on Amazon. And if you sell a certain amount of money on Amazon, they actually provide you the opportunity to take out a low interest loan with them. And always capitalize on that. Grab that money, even if you just put it in a bank. Pay it off because that will establish your work credit. Of course, personal credit's really important, but the work credit is under your business name Is super important too
0: And that's a great point too Because having that line of credit Or taking out a line of credit um, Is really useful Because even if you don't use it Well, for example if it's, if it's a true line of credit Then you aren't being charged, right? If it's just sitting there in a bank And you're not using it You're not being charged interest right. Or if you take out a loan And you pay back early You can start your credit record For your company As opposed to relying On your personal credit report And personal credit score Is that right? Correct Awesome, I like that And so what you're providing to Rochelle it's just alternative ways to finance your business without relying on friends and family. Correct. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's funny because I've had a lot of folks come to me to ask about like the dinner table pitch, right? So how are you sitting at the table when you're talking to folks and you're, maybe you're in the kitchen and you're saying, oh, I have this great idea. This is what I want to do with it. And some things that I've heard work, uh, include, telling people what problem you're trying to solve and what need you're trying to address and why you are uniquely qualified to do it. And sometimes that's tough if it's in a different industry. I mean, you said that you came from marketing and then you had this great idea that arose from a need that you had when you had your children. Like, what are we going to do? Bathrooms are disgusting. I don't want to touch anything. What should, what should we do? And it, there was really nothing on the market. And so you created it.
1: And it's kinda funny to Molly, when I meet other moms on the streets or wherever at events I go to, everybody always says, Oh, why didn't I think of it? It's a
0: great idea. (laughs) Because
1: like you said, the best products are that are that are out there are ones that solve that have a solution to a problem. But with glovies I like to say there are multiple solutions to the problem.
0: It's so true. And I mean, I mean, every time I go into a bathroom with my kids, the first thing I say is don't touch, touch anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> don't touch anything. And so I, you know, I really think that all bathrooms should be equipped with gloves. to be quite honest. That would be yeah. amazing. Yeah. should be like right there next to the toilet paper. Um, and so I think also for you, Rochelle, just some things to think about when fundraising amongst family and friends is whether it's family and friends or people who you don't know, the expectation for any investor is to have a return on their investment and so they want to know like when they're going to get their money back and I think sometimes when you're dealing with family and friends to to Josephine's point is sometimes like they may be lending you money and they may have had that money allocated for something else but they're taking a chance with you and so I think you want to have a good sense of how you plan to pay them back and, and when that's going to happen and also just being open and honest with them and, and transparent I think people really appreciate that, especially if they're taking a chance on you.
1: I agree with that. Um, what I also just wanted to say was, I think w- seed money is a little different from working capital. So seed money is a little riskier because you're just starting the company. You don't really know if your product is going to take off. You We all like to believe it will, but you just never know. So the risk is there. Working capital is a little different. If your, your product is up, it's already successful and bang, you get a purchase order and you're like, wow, how am I going to do this? I think that's a little different. Then you can turn to your family and your friends. And, you know, the best thing is communication. You open your books to them. You know, they're partners now. Show them. Say, look, this, these are the orders that are coming in. This is the money that's coming in. I know that within 60 days, this is how much money we're going to make off of the product. I just need the short term. Money for working capital, so I think that's just something to consider.
0: I think you're absolutely right. The timing of it is so key. If you're in the pre-revenue stage and you need funds to kind of get the idea off the ground, then you know you have a few options. Uh, One is self-funding, as Josephine mentioned. That's a good way to start. If you you have some savings, you can allocate. And by the way, that doesn't have to be a substantial amount of money. Uh, Last week I met the, um, one of the founders, the co-founders of The Muse. And she told me that they started with $3,000 and that was a few years ago and the muse now has over 75 million users on their platform and i don't even remember the number that she said but it was something quite impressive as to how much money they've raised and how much the company's actually worth and so you know you can start with you know depending on what you're offering depending on the products depending on the services you can start with you know something more modest and then be you know and then figure out how you want to your growth to be. If you're talking about a company that already has revenue, um, to Josephine's point, um, then I think it is a good idea because you have proof of concept already there. Correct. And if you just need help to kind of for working capital or to fulfill orders or to get to the next phase, so are you hiring people? Are you? I do you mm-hmm. need more inventory. Do you need uh, more space for your product or more space for your for your employees? I think you just have to figure that out. But planning planning, planning is super key. Um, I think the most successful entrepreneurs have a plan. And even if they don't have a plan that's like fully articulated and like a 75-page document, they have an idea of what they're trying to accomplish and they have prioritized their goals.
1: Great. I agree 100%. That's what was so great about the 10,000 KSB, you know, program that we went to. You know, it really just... Um, made us realize that you have to write those goals down. Yes. And on a daily basis, you just have to really keep your focus on your goal, your target, and nothing can stop us, it's right? So true.
0: <laughs> nothing can stop us. And so Rochelle, I hope that was really helpful. Uh we've provided a lot of different ideas for you to consider when asking, you know, friends and family to support you financially. Uh, one is Making sure that if, if you're asking friends and family for that, if you lose some money, then you can face them at the dinner table over Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. Two, if you are seeking funds from them, thinking about the timing where you are in the stage of your company. So is it seed money? Is it, you know, pre-revenue or is it post-revenue? Is it you have a concept that's already been proven and you need to fulfill some orders, just kind of thinking about the timing of it and being clear and transparent with them. I love the idea that Josephine had of, you know, showing them your numbers, showing them your books, showing them, look, have this order. We fill it in. It's a 90 day payment terms. So we'll get the money back. I can pay you back on X date. And I think just being open with communication is really key and also managing their expectations. So letting them know again when they, what, what they're getting in return. Is it equity? Is it, you know, they're going to be paid within a certain period of time? Just kind. Kind of, kind of managing their expectations. And then in lieu of that, we also provided some alternatives to getting capital from your friends and family. So getting a short-term loan, uh, self-funding, uh, and perhaps even, and which is amazing, Josephine, partnering partnering with your manufacturer or with someone else who can kind of bear some of the burden of mm-hmm. the cost to decrease costs for you. Great. Awesome. And so let's play the the next message. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs>
2: You have you one message. Hi, Damali. My name is Andrea. I'm very interested in this new podcast, your podcast that I came across. Um, I actually am a woman in business. I have my own company now for three years. And I'm interested in finding out about getting the certification as a woman-owned business and finding out. What's the best option for that? My company is currently located in New York, but it's my understanding that you can get this certification to cover both city, state, and federal. And I was interested in finding out the timelines and what you would recommend if I'm better off doing one at a time or filing the application for all three at once. Thank you very much for um, putting this podcast together. It's going to be a great resource for me, and I look forward to hearing your response. Have a great day.
0: Bye. Wow. I know. Well, fortunately, we both have that certification in New York City and state, right? We do.
1: (laughs) I have to tell you, Damali, I, for many years, I've been doing my Glovey's business for over 10 years, and it was kind of funny. I just did so much on my own. I would sit, because I had three young children at the time, and I'd put them to bed six o'clock at night, and I would sit on my computer till one, two o'clock in the morning. And I don't know how I came across the certification process, but I remember coming, you know, doing my research, and the Small Business Development Center is actually a local resource that I had used, and I had gone over to them. Actually, before then, I became part of the Suffolk County Women's Business Economic, SWEBEC in short, on Long Island, and That was a part of that women network group that they had a speaker come in and they talked about certification as well. But what I did was I used both of the resources, that women's group and the small business development center. And I just reached out to help from everybody. And the manager of the Suffolk or the SBDC actually sat down and helped me do my application. So the resources are out there. It's so important to go and grab them. So I actually went straight for the New York State certification because it was a bigger blanket, and then it's so much easier to get everything else. Suffolk County, I got very quickly because I live on Long Island. And then New York City is very, very easy to get once you get the state. I mean, you can go the other route, but that was the route that I had chosen.
0: Excellent. And so I like that you said to use some of the resources that are available through your small business development centers. And so you use one that was based in Suffolk County. You also mm-hmm. use one of the Long Island groups that focus on women entrepreneurs mm-hmm. as well. And that you started first with kind of the state route and then you kind of did everything else after that. Uh, I had a similar process. I also went to the small business development center and I would tell our caller, Andrea, that based on where you live, figure out where the nearest SBDC is and then make an appointment to go in. Uh, in my experience, I went to the one right in Harlem and they have a walk-in uh, unit. And if you walk in, then I think it helps to kind of accelerate the process a little bit because someone is there to help you. They also have a notary on site. Some of the documentation uh, requires notarization. And so when I went in, I had the distinct pleasure of working with uh, Francisco Guzman, and he was just an amazing resource. He walked me through it. Um, I had all of my information with me. And so I you have to use their computers if you're going, going into file as a walk-in. And so we did that. I had everything on a thumb drive, and then we were able to upload everything and process it. And it was really helpful because all the questions that I had, he was there, and I could ask him real time. It was invaluable.
1: I think that's wonderful. And you know what I like about that, Damali, is that you put the face to the to your name. It's you're just not a name on a piece of paper, and people want to help. I mean, the government has really set up some great agencies. They're out there to really help us. And I'm so happy you had such a good experience.
0: I did. It was a wonderful experience. And I also want to give a shout out to the New York Women's Chamber of Commerce Uh because their director, her name is Kenya Abreu. She's really a champion for helping women to get their certification. And she also has a process in place to help you. Uh, For me, I did all of them at the same time. So there was a form that I could use that allowed me to apply for city, state, I think the MTA and a few other things all at once using kind of a common application. And then there were some addendums um, that I had to fill out for the other uh, certifications. Mm -hmm. And so you have your women business owned uh, entity certification. I have the minority and the women, the women's business owned into certification, So I had the MWBE. And the process was pretty much the same. I think it I just is. had one additional paper, you know, document to fill out. Right. Yeah. And so it's, what's great about that is um, then figuring out once you have your certification, what does that open you up to, Josephine? What opportunities do you have?
1: Wow. Well, what's funny is I, right before this podcast, I actually just attended a procurement fair. And it's quite challenging. It's not that you get your certification and all of a sudden everything's handed to you and you get a contract. It is nothing like that. It is a lot of hard work. And you really have to follow, in my opinion, a lot of it has to do with follow-up. You know, you have to get onto the systems, you know, for like, um, let's see, the Department of Ed, you have to make sure that you become a vendor within their system a lot of the agencies have their own way of doing business. So you need to become familiar with every agency you want to do business with. Then, of course, there's passport that you have to go in. That's the general system with all of the agencies that you go in, you put all of your information in, your personal information, your business information, and the commodity codes. That is key. You need to do your research and you have to make sure that you are representing who you are, who your business is, and what you can offer these agencies.
0: That's right. And so I want to unpack a little bit of that. So you said that before you came here, you went to a procurement fair. What's a procurement fair?
1: So that's where all, it's like a trade show where all the agencies go, they line up the hall with their tables and they let suppliers like myself know what kind of contracts they have available right now. So you can actually go and, create, you know, bid on these contracts. And it's a lot of fun because, Damali, within those procurement fairs, you get to meet other MWBEs and you can become a team together and go and bid on a contract, a government agency together. So there's a lot of opportunity out there as a certified. Women owned business.
0: Absolutely. And I like that you also said, like, there shouldn't be this expectation that once you've acquired your certification, it's raining contracts because that's not the case. There's still a lot of uh, groundwork to, to do in order to actually land those contracts. Um, my understanding is that Mayor de Blasio has allocated a certain number of utilization goals for minority owned and women owned businesses. And so these procurement fairs and things like expos are really intended to identify, uh, MBEs or WBEs or MWBEs yeah. um, and to try to pair uh, us, if you will, with uh, contracting agencies that have needs for certain products and services. And so when you go to them, to Josephine's point, it's a lot of the footwork is meeting people who are in the procurement department who actually purchase services and products. It's also, you know, meeting other entrepreneurs, and teaming up with them. And one of the best things that happened to me um, earlier this year um, after I received my certification was this particular expo had then divided the groups into different uh, categories. So I think Mm -hmm. there was one for construction, one for IP, Mm -hmm. uh, one more product space, and then maybe one that was more media like marketing, et cetera. Mm And I remember that in the past, I would just go to kind of like the IP or the media, not really knowing where my professional services landed. And as I was standing there, a woman came over to me and we started chatting and she said, oh, I'm going to go up to the construction room. And she was in the insurance industry. And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to wait here. And she said, well, why aren't you going to construction? I said, because I don't do any construction work. And she said, but you're a lawyer. There are contracts in construction. Why wouldn't you go up there? And I mean, Josephine, mind blown. It never would have occurred to me that... There are contracts and subcontracts to be worked on for construction projects. And, and I don't mean that, you know, it, it sounds really silly, but I just thought of construction as more hard costs as opposed to soft costs. And I didn't see how my services align. And so one of the great things about going to these expos and procurement fairs is that you can kind of think about, to your point about multi- multiple uses for, for Glovey's. Think about different ways that your products and services could be utilized.
1: But that you hit on something so important to Molly, because going to these fairs is a lot, a lot of work. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I got up at five o'clock this morning to take the train. It took me two hours to get to the fair this morning. Oh, wow. It would have been very easy for me to say, you know what? I'll just go to the office and I'll put in a full day at the office. But no, you have to go to these fairs because just like you said, that light bulb goes off. You just never know who you're gonna run into and who you could possibly do business with I mean today I met an agency and she was like we'd love to do work you know business with you you know send us your capability statement which is something that you know is important to mention too as certified women owned businesses that should be one of the very first things that you do just go online Google what a capability statement is. Hit, click on that little image and you'll get to see right online samples of capability statements. That's super important because once you have that, that's almost like your resume for these procurement fairs.
0: Absolutely. It's like a one-page document saying what you do. It has your code, It has maybe your EIN number and the last couple of contracts you worked on. And it's a really good way, to your point, to kind of show uh, procurement folks what you can do in a snapshot. And so it's a great idea. Um, I think that's pretty awesome. And so, Andrea, for you, one, clearly we think that it's worthwhile to have the certification. We both have the certification. Two, as an extension of that, it's not... As if it's raining contracts. And so when you have access to some of the uh, programs that Josephine mentioned, so Passport, if you want to, we don't know what your service or product is, but if you're eligible to apply for to be a vendor for some of the other agencies like the DOE, uh, the MTA is one that comes to mind and other agencies, uh, then some of them have their own portals where they post contracts. And so if you can kind of get on the listservs and they'll send you the information for you to uh, prop- they ask for a request for a bid, a request for proposal, a request for information. There are several different acronyms we can give uh-huh. you. Um, but the point is to, one... Take the first step of trying to get certified. Uh, if you go t- online and look up MWBE or WBE certification in New York City and New York State, several resources will populate in Google. You can also contact Kenya Abreu at the New York Women's Chamber of Commerce. Uh, she has some great PDFs that are already ready to go. You can visit your local small business development center or the SBDC and talk to some amazing folks there who can help you kind of navigate all of the paperwork that's required. And then... You will have access to these cool expos and procurement fairs. And what, um, Josephine is talking about is we receive directly to our inboxes as, you know, WBEs, uh, Opportunities to attend these fairs. And so we're getting a lot of information of things that could particularly align with our commodity codes uh, to Josephine's earlier point. And so hopefully this is very helpful to you. Uh, we hope to see you at a procurement or an expo soon. And hopefully you'll call back if you have any further questions. Josephine, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you in the studio. Oh,
1: you're so welcome, Damali. I love what you're doing with your pa- podcast you're always out there helping other women. And I admire you so much. And I wish you all the best of luck. Not that you need luck, because you're already a huge success. But the fact that you're out there willing to help so many women business owners really warms my heart. And it was a pure pleasure for me to come and help be a part of your show today
0: You rock And I hope that our podcast Can be as successful as yours Over 200 episodes Wow That's amazing Josephine And likewise I think you're just An amazing force To be reckoned with And everyone Please get some Glovies Everyone needs them It's on Amazon Check them out And again Continue to stay tuned To our podcast Take care Do you have any barriers That we can help you Break through? If so You can leave a brief message At 646 646- Three six three six three two two, or on our interactive blog at www.breakthroughadr.com. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at the at sign b r e a k t h r o u g h capital A capital D capital R. I'm your host, Damali Peterman, and this is Breakthrough Barriers with Demali. Although I am a lawyer, mediator, and an educator, and many of my co-hosts will represent various professions, we want to be clear that we are not providing legal advice, counseling, or suggestions. Our goal is to provide a roadmap for conflict resolution to generate future conflict resolvers. Continue to break through and have a wonderful day.